You're listening to Simulcast, a podcast about healthcare simulation. So welcome to another edition of Simulcast. I'm Victoria Brazel, and I'm pleased to be bringing you the next in our instalment with advances in simulation. And today I'm going to be discussing an editorial from Advances from 2018 titled Another Debriefing Course, Who Benefits? and by Christian Crow, Albert Chan, and Nancy McNaughton. And I'm very pleased to be joined by two of those authors, uh, Christian and Nancy, to be discussing the article. Uh, how are you, Christian? Oh, I'm pretty good. Thanks for having me. Excellent. And Nancy, calling in all the way from Canada, how are you? I'm great, and thank you for having me as well. Yeah. All right, well, let's introduce you to our Simulcast listeners. Um, Chris, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do in Sim. Yeah, so uh, I'm I'm an anesthetist from Denmark, and currently I'm doing a fellowship uh, in education, and actually in the emergency department at the Gold Coast University Hospital. So a bit of a leap from what I'm doing in my usual practice, but I guess getting a bit outside the comfort zone is a good thing. That's excellent. Uh, and Nancy, tell us a little bit about you. So my background is really in simulated patient-based education. So come from actually really in the 80s as a standardized patient, and then becoming a director of a program at University of Toronto. And now I'm working at this great applied health sciences educational institution where they do a lot of um, technology training. So 13 programs, and there's a lot of simulation taking place there. So my focus is really on the human element um, in that training. How can we get people to think about communication through simulation activities? Excellent. All right. Well, having thought a little bit about this, let's just jump straight into this article. So as I said, it's a commentary and it's, uh, I didn't quite emphasize the title, another debriefing course, exclamation point, who benefits? And in this paper, uh, the authors take us through thinking about uh, there are many debriefing courses, but are they really returning on the promise? They are very good courses, but do they really translate into great debriefing, great reflective learning back in practice? So maybe, Christian, you can kick us off here. Um, what led you to write this commentary and uh, what's the problem here that you would like us to think about? Well, I, I think leading off to this, uh, to doing the, this, uh, writing this article in the beginning was actually we were doing a debriefing or simulation course, Nancy and I, and, and, and met up with, well, with Deborah as well, Deborah as well, and then we met up with Adam Chang and we had a bit of a discussion about how, how to, how to kind of do these courses in a different realm than what you usually do. This was a, a made in Hong, this course was a particular course was in Hong Kong, and we talked about all these courses that each of us have been attending and doing. And I think, at least from my standpoint, all these courses are all good and fine and made by brilliant educators. But when you come back home and you're doing these courses yourself, you see that people come back and have the same questions over and over again, having the same struggles. And what I found with courses in my own facility is the people that I'm training with, my own, my own educators, uh, I can continue to help them out in their own practice and, they, and we can improve together. Whereas people that come from outside, even though they come come back maybe a year or two later. They don't have that continuous educational meaningfulness of being together with their peers on a daily practice. And I think that's what's missing from the courses that are being offered. All right. So I think what you're saying is as a standalone offering, this isn't enough, but I 
would probably suggest that the people who run those courses, yourself included, would say that's obvious and it's just a part of a continuing process. Uh, so it's not that you're saying debriefing courses are bad, you're just saying they're not enough? Yeah, I think I think they're, they're not enough as standalone. I think it's good to go out and meet and see what other people are doing, but I found many of these courses, even the longer ones, they, they are intended to work together uh, across uh, countries and kind of help each other out. But I think on a daily basis, I don't think that we do enough. I think that debriefing and simulation in general is just another tool for continuous education. And I think mm-hmm. people that are embedded in education, that, as most of us are, uh, can do more on a daily basis. And I think that debriefing, for one thing, can be moved on to clinical practice. But if we look at look at the at debriefing, those people that are doing debriefing for simulations, sometimes they may need to have guidance, assistance, or just pure purely peer feedback under the debriefing to invo- involve. And I think that even though that we on most courses uh, stress is quite important for continuous learning, it's not being done and it's not being helped out, so people can actually translate that learning and knowledge to their daily practice, being simulation or clinical practice. Well, this makes a lot of sense. Uh, I think cognitive science tells us that uh, massed practice is not as good as spaced repetition and interleaving. Uh, Nancy, do you see the problem the same way? Uh, You and Christian have already outed yourselves as debriefing (laughs) course instructors. Uh, It seems to be a particularly um, uh, reflective approach to take. So what's interesting for me in listening to uh, Chris as well as I, you know, we started off talking about debriefing, but I think really quickly we ended up going to um, almost knowledge translation. Like what is it that we are expecting people to walk away with being able to transfer to their clinical context? And we don't know. We we really have no way of knowing that. And I think this is what, you know, we come to at the end of the article, which is we really have no way of evaluating or knowing whether someone is going to take away a nugget and be able to apply it directly in their clinical context or not. It may emerge six months, six years. We, we really have no way of knowing how it's going to be applied. And I think, you know, the other thing that struck me when I read this is I think for myself, I mean, I, I, when I go to conferences, I attend debriefing workshops, I, you know, I run debriefing workshops and we tend to go to continuing education stuff that we're you know, that we kind of know about. So either to confirm what we're already doing and maybe to pick up a few tips and tricks and stuff. But when I get back home, it's it's almost not enough because I, I have my cultural context in which I've been doing things a certain way. And there isn't that kind of support or even, you know, allowance of time for me to try out this new technique. And right. So it's, it's the, the issue for me is not the debriefing courses themselves, they're all valuable. They're great insights. I'm kind of agnostic when it comes to debriefing. I pick up this, that, and the other thing, and I have what I do when I what I do. But it's we don't know what people are doing when they go back. And another thing that that was brought to my attention by a knowledge translation person, and I I'm not a knowledge translation methodologist or person who studies this, but it's you know we tend to aim these courses at individual level skills and knowledge acquisition. And, you know, as I've just said, how does that translate when you get into a system that is set up to run a particular way, and then you 
right? And then you have other kinds of challenges you've got to face as well as trying out new practices. So those are just a couple of the things that stuck with me. And specifically with debriefing, because it is, there's so much out there about what we could possibly be doing well, differently, practicing. Um, And it's, I think I think it's it's a bit overwhelming, and then when we get back to our home sites, we just go, "Yeah, you know, I'm kind of comfortable doing what I've been doing, and do I really need to change?" I, right? So it's 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 tricky. It's tricky applying it. I think mm, absolutely, and I think uh, what you're saying is that we've almost fallen into the trap that has happened in a lot of health professions education, which is we're really strong on content, but we really struggle on process and transfer and in the uh, commentary you uh, cite that there's 6.3 million results when you do a google search for debriefing of which 242,000 are from google scholar so we're not short on uh, exploring the knowledge about debriefing and as you um, quote Chris Ardress and others uh, Mm -hmm. about we've got the theory of action well and truly but when it comes to our theory in use, what we actually do, um, and again, I'm going to quote from your article, we have a naive belief about our learners' ability to translate lessons learned in courses to their day-to-day practice, unquote. Uh, So how can we optimise this uh, transfer? Can I come back to you here, Christian? Yeah, well, I, I think I think we have to to you know we talk to talk. I think we have to walk the walk as well. And, and a part of what I'm doing now with this fellowship is is part of walking the walk. So so doing something else and and trying to immerse myself in 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 this other way of practicing and not just going to a course. Um, maybe just point out that Gold Coast University Hospital is where uh, Victoria Brazil is working, and I'm actually. There to learn from her or from you, Vic. So, so that's part of it. And I think I could have just taken another course or listened to one of your talks, but actually merging myself and being there for a longer period of time is in trying to get it under my skin to learn it. And I think just on a daily practice, what we can do to improve ourselves is, is, you know, purely giving each other peer feedback. So when you learn something from a course or you go to a conference and do a workshop, when you come back, not you fall into that trap that Nancy's talking about, we just get back to our own context. And then instead, if you go more than one, you're actually trying to use what you've learned and put it into your own context. So, as an example, from what I'm doing now, where I'm working in the immersion department uh, at the Gold Coast University Hospital, going back to Denmark, which is a completely different context, not even working in the same department. But even so, the emergency department are set up differently. The course the context is different. But there's there's this potential uh, knowledge that can be transferred into my own practice, clinical practice. And I think the same thing goes for what we learn at simulation courses, but we need to be very conscious about what it is that we do and we need to be continuous reflective of our practice. And I think we do that better in teams. Uh, So for that, I think that we should learn from each other and really strive to use peer feedback on a general practice, debriefing and clinical skills. Yes, well, thank you for the shout out, Christian. And I'm glad I've already learned something. I thought you'd come to the Gold Coast for me to learn things from you. So, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, but I think what you're saying is, 
you know, immersion and really thinking about that transfer from the get-go is important. And that is quite hard for people who are already just trying to get the ideas about structure and conversational technique from these courses. So I'm going to sort of run through a range of things that I've heard and watched and interviewed people about. One might be instead of doing courses for individuals on a sort of so-called retail basis, whether we'll be thinking about wholesale uh, approaches. Uh, I think the other thing is that you're saying we need to have the capacity for ongoing peer-led development. And I'm reminded of an article we recently reviewed of the Meta Debrief Club uh, by a group um, from the UK. And uh, you're saying that there's a range of things and probably the course is part of some building blocks of uh, faculty development. And I'm also reminded of people like Dawn Taylor-Peterson and others who sort of have a scaffolded approach. Um, am I on the right track here, Nancy? I think so. I mean, I think all of those are are really um, great suggestions. And I think listening to Chris too, you know, he said it get, gets under your skin. So there's something about being in an environment, learning something, being able to try it out. I mean, this is this is the basis of simulation, right? That you can know something isn't enough. We need to be able to experience and do it, right? So to be able to be supported in a community where you live and work, basically, and have people that you trust to, right, reflect back to you, debrief, basically, what it is that you're doing when you're debriefing, or so that there's a there's a real community of communication to support what your practices are. I think that's huge. I, right? So, I mean, I, I think that's the way to do it. And faculty development, again, within the context that you're working, I think is huge because it's different. I mean, it's slightly different, you know, from place to place. I know that for sure. And people do things differently without really understanding maybe why they're doing what they're doing. That's the other thing. So to be able to have these conversations, I think is really important. And I'm, I, I think that's where the value is. I think it's a wicked problem. I don't want to suggest that we add another evaluation or another assessment of people who go to CE and come back with skills that they need to be evaluated on. So as Deborah Nestel said, it's, it's complex. Like we need to have a way of valuing what we do and the changes that we'd like to make um, through maybe more of a community of practice approach. Yes, and I think that's really important, this community of practice concept and yet it's, I think, the biggest barrier because I can already hear people who are both attendees and uh, facilitators at those courses um, saying, well, these people are on their own and I know many simulcast listeners yeah. are at institutions where there might be one, two, three or four simulation educators and they don't have someone with a lot of experience or expertise locally. They find actually the community of practice at the course and those people they seek to continue to connect with as a way of peer support and yet that can be hard once you're oh, no longer so at the course. Uh, it sounds like there's probably going to be a plethora of answers according to where you are and where you find that community. Yeah. I mean, I think community be, can be two people. I mean, if you have somebody, you know, that you've gone through a course with and you're back home with them, you can call each other, you can reflect back to each other. I don't think it has to be a huge community, but you're right. People who are on their own. Yeah, it's that's tough. And I don't know how many courses that we've delivered that we've said, yes, we're all going to stay in touch. And yes, we're all going to get back to each other in six months and, you know, check in. And it just doesn't happen. I, 
would love to say it does, but it just doesn't happen. Yes, unless it's got some structure around it and someone's paying yeah. for it or you're being assessed on it, um, there aren't the levers right. to sort of continue with yeah. that. Um, I yeah. guess one of the issues here, and I'm going to make reference back to the commentary, is that we don't actually know. I mean, we've all been sitting here saying, well, we don't see the transfer, but maybe it's better than we think. Um, mm. Chris, you sort of made the call for more meaningful evaluation. Uh, how could we actually get to really know whether this is as much of a problem as we think or worse than we think? Well, I guess that's, that's a million-dollar question, isn't it? Uh, I, I think... <sighs> Yeah, what I think. I, I think that that how can we make you know actually see what people are doing? I think if we really want to do that, I think we need to to find a meaningful way of doing that evaluation. And that being said, I think we need to know what we're looking for. I think Nancy said that as well just previously. Uh, it, it's about what is it that we want to get out of these courses. What are, what is it that we want to do? And I guess from my own perspective, what I, I I'm trying to gain from various courses is to improve my practice, then the question becomes, how do I know that I'm actually improving or not? And I, I there are some tools out there that are evaluating, um, you know, our debriefing uh, the OSAT or the DASH as, as examples. But but I, I'm, I'm not sure that that's all of it. I think that, that improving together in your own context and trying to, you know, make value of, of what it is that you do is so much more than just the debriefing or the simulation. I think it goes hand in hand, but you need to know what was what's the end game. What what is it you're trying to achieve? Yes, and I think that can be hard for people to um, get their head around. Uh, Nancy, your thoughts on this? Yeah, I just I I think I heard Victoria in your question a call for research or a call for some sort of inquiry into. What is happening out there? I mean, it's a great place to start. We may, we, you're right, we may be way better off than we think we are. So, but we don't know. We don't know. So it's a, it's a call for some kind of inquiry, whether it's a, a kind of a quality improvement inquiry or a research uh, study asking, you know, in various contexts about uptake and actually not even just asking, observing, is there uptake? Is there uptake of various uh, debriefing practices that, you know, we can observe uh, in our own contexts. That's, I mean, that, you know, that's where my brain went when, when you asked that question. It was like, oh, yeah, this is a good research project. Yes, I think we have plenty of expertise around uh, based on people doing great faculty development. I'm thinking Adam mm -hmm. Chang, Vincent Grant, a whole mm -hmm. range of other people, uh, as well as people with their local um, faculty development programs. Um, Chris, you've got extra thoughts on that? Yeah, so so I thought research as well when 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 you know you ask pop the question, but I, I was kind of uh, trying to think what what what, is, what would I do myself because the research questions as as I think Nancy is referring to as well, it could be several different things. But I think to ask the right research question in this regard, trying to get an actual answer, you need to know what what we're looking for, and I think. The, the big question, the big the difficult question is how, how do we, what do we see as an improvement? What are the status? And yeah. I think if we just ask people how they're going, uh, it's going to be, uh, rather than a theory in use, it's going to be uh, a theory of, of practice. So I think we need to, to get down to observation. I think the best way of doing mm -hmm. that is actually using uh, peers to talk about their peers, how they're going.
Yeah, I yes, I certainly struggle myself to think about the feasibility of doing some of that kind of work, albeit very uh, good thing to do. All right, well, given that we don't have perfect research and evidence in this regard, but both of you have a deal of expertise and you've thought about the problem a bit, I want to ask about advice you've both got for number one, people who are attending courses, and number two, people who are running courses to help this transfer factor. So, um, Nancy, can I start with you? If someone was saying, look, I'm pretty new to SIM, I'm going to go to a course, what would you say, What would your advice to them be both what they should do before the course, during the course, and after mm. the course? Oh, that's great. So I guess to start, if they're, if they're really interested in this, that they, they should read, um, if they can, there's enough out there, as we've identified, to just read up on what debriefing is. Um, I think the courses that might be offered that would be the most valuable would be longer, right? They're, they have some sort of a, a depth uh, that is more than three hours or, or more than, you know, a conference workshop. Um, because there's a lot of theory that sits underneath debriefing that I think it's important for people to understand so that they, right, they have something to fall back on when they're actually practicing and are making choices. I mean, I said earlier, I'm agnostic and it's true because of the way I've, I've come to debriefing. I pick and choose various pieces when I'm, you know, going through my various debriefing activities and it's to be able to get comfortable with that and to, I think, immerse yourself in a long enough course that you are with people that you end up trusting, you can practice and try out different things, you can begin to understand what the principles are that are underpinning debriefing, um, and then go home and hopefully afterwards, you know, ideally keep in touch with people, ideally keep practicing what it is you've learned. It's just hard. Yeah, so I think uh, I like what you've said because you've emphasised something important, which is debriefing is a skill, but it's underpinned by principles. And so merely trying to copy format is probably not useful. So you've said get yourselves ready, Be realise that you do need to do a fair bit of reading and thinking about those underpinning principles, make the most of the experience, and then think what is that community of practice and peer feedback subsequently. Yeah. So, Christian, can I ask you then the opposite question, or not the opposite, but the complementary question about people running courses? And uh, many of us do this, whether it's from the one-hour conference workshop right through to the five-day immersive experience. Uh, what advice would you give to people running or faculty development to optimise that transfer for learners? So I think there's two different types of courses, as you, as you mentioned uh, in, the, in your question as well. So are you doing a one-hour conference workshop or are you doing a you know, several days workshop? Uh, I think for the workshop type courses, uh, the longer workshops, uh, several days, I think that the pre-reading is quite important. And I think, as it's been mentioned a few times, there are so many different uh, articles and, and offerings uh, on debriefing out there that if you're just starting out, you have no idea where to start because the, the, the literature is, is quite substantial. Uh, so I think as a course provider to pinpoint the five, ten articles uh, that are need to know or are some of the, the, the basic articles that are important for, for debriefing 
either in general or to the course that you're running. I think that's a good start. Uh, I think to start to build that community of practice, trying to pair people up before the course so they have a chance to interact uh, prior to the course. And then during and after the course, setting up a a proper a proper space or an agreement between people that they can continue to work with each other. I think having that community of practice to continue on to make sure that you have that practice. So uh, rather than just giving the suggestion, it would be a good idea if you guys continue to chat about how you're going, uh, then have either online meeting points where people meet up or make sure that people are engaged so much prior during that they also will continue to be engaged with each other after the course. Yeah, so really setting setting up the course to uh, enable people to have that feed forward plan. Exactly, and I, I think I think also not just you know sending people a letter or giving them a heads up uh, six months later. I think it needs to be embedded in the course that you will continue at least maybe the first six months, maybe the first year to keep touching base with your course participants that you have paired up or grouped up, grouped together, depending on how you're going to do it, to make sure that they are still talking to each other. And if they aren't trying to support that, because I think that is what it is, that community of practice is how we improve as, as the community. And I think that goes for uh, the workshop courses as well, where a workshop course is, is short, is precise. Uh, and I think for those courses for, you know, uh, at a conference workshop, one-hour course, I think what you can do there is trying to be as explicit as possible in your description. Uh, what is it that you're going to cover uh, in that one or three-hour courses that you'll do there S- to, to give the people the most of what they can get at that point in time? All right. Well, I guess it's nearly time for us to wrap up. Just to recap for our Simulcast listeners, we've had Christian Crow and Nancy McNaughton here talking a little bit about debriefing courses with a I guess a, a provocation that maybe we're not making the most of the excellent stuff that's done at courses in terms of the transfer to the real world. Uh, I'm going to ask you both for any sort of take-home thoughts for our listeners now as either people running or attending debriefing courses or indeed for the simulation community to reflect upon about uh, ways forward. Nancy? Mm, wouldn't that be nice if I could just tie it up? Um, <laughs> I think it's a I think it's a wicked problem. I I don't think it only has to do with debriefing courses, but I think continuing education generally has this dilemma. And as a final thought, what can I offer as a a hopeful thought? Let's see. Um, to keep going to various courses, I think to be, um, you know, uh, not critical, but kind of uh, informed about the courses that you're taking and take them seriously and attempt to create a community so that you can actually bring home what you've learned and keep practicing it. I think that's, that's what's missing for me, right? Even for myself, when I attend courses, I come home and I think, yes, I'm going to do this. Yes, I'm going to apply this practice. And then I find myself not, I mean, it's not the culture's fault, but I just find myself thinking it's, you know, I don't have time. I have to do it this way because I don't have time. So, so a community of practice, I think is huge. Yeah, fantastic. And yeah. I do think your point's a really good one about this is clearly not isolated to simulation debriefing. It's a problem more broadly with our continuing professional development. Yeah. Uh, Christian, thoughts from you? So 
I, I think I think I think it'd be fair to mention that when we started out writing this this commentary, it was all over the place because we were not just talking simulationally briefing. We talked about <laughs> all different types of continuous education, but kind of settled on using the briefing as as an example. So I think all the comments that's been made is, is quite quite out there. That is, this is regarding all types of, of education. Uh, I think final thoughts about this. How do we do if we just look at the briefing? Uh, I think community of practice is is a key thing. That being said, I still believe there's quite quite a lot of value in attending conference debriefing, you know, short courses as well. Uh, even as a novice learner, as I think you get a different perspective and different take on how things can be done. Uh, but you don't learn from just attending. Uh, you need you need to try it out and practice so immerse yourself uh, and and try to be reflective in your own practice not just during a course but also when you go home and and do things and try to challenge yourself uh, and if you go with a mate i think that's just key getting 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 your learning with people is is well essential Excellent. All right. Well, for uh, our listeners, you probably will want to go and read this commentary. So that's another debriefing course who benefits uh, from Advances in Simulation 2018. As you know, Advances is an open access journal, so you can go onto the website and read that for free. Uh, and it's, I think, a very nice provocation for us. Uh, I'm going to thank uh, Christian and Nancy for their time with us. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. All right. I'm Victoria Brazel signing off for Simulcast. You're listening to Simulcast.